0: There was once a farmer who had three sons by the name of Sam and Jim and John. But this family was very well known for resisting God. They wanted nothing to do with God. They resisted every invitation. They were outright atheists. Uh, They didn't want people to talk to them about Jesus. They, They didn't do that religious stuff. One day, Sam was minding his own business and was bitten by a rattlesnake. Rushed to hospital. The doctors were working on him. They were worried about his life, and they weren't sure they could do any more for him. And the de- the father, out of desperation, said, please, you've got to do something for my boy. And so the doctor said, well, I mean, I could call the priest in. He's like, anything. So they called the priest in to pray for Sam. The priest comes in. He knows the family well. He's been trying to reach him for years. And he prays a rather different prayer. He lays his hand on Sam. And he says, oh, Lord, wise father, thank you for this rattlesnake. Lord, in all our years, I don't think Sam has prayed to you. He's never seen the inside of a church. But Lord, through the work of your mighty rattlesnake, today they are open to your voice. So, Lord, I pray, may you send another rattlesnake to John, and another to Jim, and Lord, an extra big one for the Father. Lord, this rattlesnake has been able to accomplish more in his one bite than all of us in our many years of effort and prayer. And so we call upon this family more and more rattlesnakes. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't it true that sometimes it's the rattlesnake's that make you see your need for God. Sometimes it's the trials, the pain of life, the tribulations. Sometimes it's the dips. It's a loss, the loss of income, the loss of health, the loss of marriage, the loss of friendship, the loss of a secure future. It's sometimes in the loss, the rattlesnakes, that God really gets our attention. And for the first time, we realize, oh, man, I'm not God, and I need a God. I need someone who can save me. Today, we're going to be looking at a prophet, and God had a great way of getting this guy's attention. Instead of using a rattlesnake, he uses a fish. It's a well-known, beloved story. The prophet Jonah, who I'll call the prodigal prophet, one who ran from God. In fact, if you wanted to sum up Jonah's story, you could say he's someone who ran from God and then ran to God and then walked with God, And we're going to look at how his story unfolds, because I believe there are some lessons that you and I can really learn from the story of Jonah. We're going to be together in the book of Jonah, and uh, you're welcome to go there in your Bibles, or perhaps join us in the New Life app. All the notes are there. Let's start in Jonah 1 from verse 1 of 4. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because of its wickedness has come up before me. But Drona ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm rose that the ship threatened to break up. I'm going to fill in a bit of the blanks here. All the sailors, the crew started to panic. They were wondering why God would want to punish them. And so they walk around looking at who has offended God. They interview Jonah. Jonah says, it's me. And they're like, what can we do? He's like, just throw me overboard. So they're like, okay. And they threw him overboard. In verse 17, it says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. What exactly kind of fish was it? We don't know. Doesn't really matter. It was a fish. And then the story starts to take a turn. And I find this really funny in Jonah chapter 2, because suddenly Jonah prays. The prayerless prophet prays. The one who was running away from God prays. It took a storm and a fish, but finally... He prays in Jonah 2 verse 1. It says, from the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. Sometimes that's what it takes for us to pray. While we're running from God, it takes the storms. It takes a fish. And we see what happens in Jonah chapter 3 from verse 1. Then the Lord of the Word came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. And this time, Jonah obeyed. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Okay, so let's have a look at the story of this prodigal prophet and see are there things you and I can learn in the life and the story of Jonah because I think there's a lot happening in here It's really relevant for us today. First lesson is this. Following God's calling on your life might cost you. In fact, it very likely will cost you something. If you're going to follow God's call, it's going to cost you. It's probably going to cost you your convenience, uh, your time, your pride, your opinion. It's very much going to cost you your own will. Following God's call will cost you, and you might be thinking, I don't know if I have a call. Well, let me tell you, you do. Every one of you in this room, if you're a Christian, you have a call from God upon your life. Look at someone and say, you are called. We read these words right throughout Scripture. You look in 1 Corinthians 1. It calls, tells us that we are the ones who are called. Ephesians 4. It tells us that we are called. We need to walk in the calling that we've been called to. We A call, God didn't save you without a reason. He saved you for a reason. And the reason He saved you is for His purpose, not your purpose. Every one of us have a calling. Every one of us have a next step. We have a next step that leads us more towards God's will. Every one of us have a next step that will take us deeper with God, help us grow more with God. Every one of us have a next step that leads us closer to the perfect will of God for our lives. And so right off the back, this moment begs this question, are you resisting the next step? Are you pulling a Jonah and running away from your Nineveh because you realize that next step is going to cost you? Following God's calling often, often does. And, and maybe you're waiting for your full calling to be super clear. Like you want the whole picture painted. Well, let me tell you, while you wait for that voice of God, while you wait for the specific calling for your exact life, let me just tell you, God has given you plenty to get on with. Because there are things we are all called to as children of God. We are all called to holy living. We're all called to righteousness. We are all called to godliness. We're all called to love our enemies. We're all called to be quick forgivers. We're all called for so many things. So while you might be waiting for your exact, precise calling, there's enough to get along with. And I wonder sometimes, what are we resisting in our relationship with God? What is it we know He wants us to do, but we are pulling a Jonah? Because I want you to notice something that happens that I already read in Jonah 1 verse 3. Let's look at this a bit more closely. Jonah arose to flee from Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. Everyone say he paid the fare. And he went down into it. Now, let me tell you that the city of Tarshish from where Jonah was, Was four thousand kilometers away, which means what Jonah did is he put his hand in his pocket, and he pulled out the fare. He paid the fare for a four thousand kilometer ship journey. Now, did Jonah ever reach his destination? No, he never made it to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, but he didn't make it to the destination. And I want to tell you, I think that's a metaphor for you and me. I think so often. When you and I are persistent on following our own ways, it costs us. We pay the fare, and we never make it to the destination. But what happens when you and I decide to follow God's journey, God's path, God's will? Suddenly, He covers the fare. Do you know that Jonah got all the way to Nineveh without paying anything? He got a free fish ride. When you and I follow the will of God, He takes care of the fare, and we get to the destination. Sometimes we're so unwilling to pay the price for following God, but we don't realize that not following God is a greater price, a far greater cost. So why did Jonah run? I mean, isn't it the job of a prophet to speak? Like he's like the worst missionary in the world, right? Like, dude, you have one job. You're a prophet. Why is he running? What was his issue? Well, you can go read it for yourself, but Jonah actually makes it very clear why he ran away from God. And it's because he really didn't like the Ninevites. And he knew that if he went there, God would probably save them. And he didn't think they were worthy of saving. Let's read this together from Jonah 3 verse 10. Then God saw their works and they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Next chapter, Jonah 4 from verse 1. But Jonah, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord. Now I want you to imagine, this is an angry prayer. Ever prayed an angry prayer? Right? This is an angry prayer. He's like, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God. You were slow to anger and abounding in love. You are a God who relent from calamity. Now, Lord, just take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. <laughs> Such a dramatic Christian. Some of you, you see yourself so much in Jonah because you're a drama queen or you're a drama king. You're like, oh, man, that would be me. Just kill me, Lord. You saved them. Why did Jonah not want the Ninevites saved? Because he hated them and he didn't think they were worthy of saving Why did he hate them so much? Well, the Ninevites, that was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. These were people who were the enemies of the Jews. And within their reign, they would capture 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they were brutal. They were cruel. They were known for dismembering bodies, for decapitating people, for cruel ways. If you're a sensitive, if you're a you might want to close your ears because I'm going to tell you a few things that these guys did. One of the emperors, Arshubi Nepal, he was known for taking people's lips and as a form of punishment, he would tear off their lips and then he would tear, pull off their hands and their feet. And only then would he kill them. Another one of the emperors by the name of Taglith Pileser, he was known for skinning people alive. And then he would take their skulls and he would put them at the gate of the city of Nineveh. So we're told that in order to go through the gates of Nineveh, you would walk past mounds of human skulls. Nahum was another prophet called to Nineveh, and he said, It is a bloody city, and a great number of bodies and countless corpses are there. Jonah looked at these evil people, the enemies of his nation. He looked at these evil people carrying out basically terror attacks upon it. I mean, just gruesome war crimes, awful. And he looked and said, They don't deserve saving God. How could you save me to them? Because I know if I go, you're going to just forgive them. I know if I go, God, i just going to be all compassionate and all loving. And I don't want that, Lord. They don't deserve that. And I've got to ask you, does that sound familiar? Because it just really feels like that's happening right now in the world. And I, I was amazed by this, guys, because I planned this series weeks ago. I gave it to the team weeks ago. And just at this time, as I'm reading through the story, I'm looking at what's happening in Israel. In the last two weeks, as this war has broken out on our earth, and I've been listening to how the Christians speak. And it's interesting to hear how the Christians, the people of God, the people of love, speak about the Israeli-Palestinian war because they sound like Jonah. You have know, people on either side of this, right? And... and in response to these brutal terrorist attacks caused by Hamas on the Israeli people, I mean, what the stories coming out of this—they sound like the Ninevites. It's awful: babies being be- beheaded and women being raped next to corpses, and people being gunned down at music festivals and civilians being bombed. I mean, it's just awful, awful stuff. And then you just hear these voices rise up of these Christians, who are like, "We're pro, we're pro-Israel," and. I must, and the Palestinians just destroy them, right? Bomb them, siege them, cut off their water. They shouldn't eat. And then you have these other voices, these pro-Palestinians. No, we're the Israelites are bad. They've been oppressing them for ages. It's the world's largest open-air prison, and they deserve this. And this is a wake-up call for Israel. And it's got this back and forth, and these Christians who, almost with this very same voice of Jonah, being like, they don't deserve salvation. They just deserve to die. And I need to remind you, church, our stance is not to be pro-Israel or pro-Palestine. It's to be pro-Jesus. That is Old Testament thinking. Listen, the only time you may be against another nation, because our war is no longer against flesh and blood, the only time you may be against another nation is perhaps like for 80 minutes tonight against France, like But then, right after the game, you have to love them again. Like, that's it, guys. Like, there are Christians in Palestine. We should not be praying against them. There are Christians in Israel. We should not be praying against them. We should call, do what the Bible's called us to do, and pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the peace of Israel. But not be against people. We should be against. War and brutality, no matter who it's coming from. The only kingdom that you and I have allegiance to is the kingdom of God. And we are not of this world, and that is not an earthly kingdom. So I think we can quite easily see how Jonah developed this in his heart. Because what really happened is he became bitter towards the people of Nineveh. And he truly believed they didn't deserve God's love or God's salvation or God's provision. And he said, God, how dare you? In other words, Jonah, he preferred bitterness over forgiveness. And you know what that made him? Blind and stupid. When you and I make friends with bitterness, can I just tell you it's going to make us blind and stupid? You know how stupid Jonah became? He was a prophet. He knew the word of God. And you know what he started to believe? I think I can hide from God. Okay, Lord, you're saying, Nineveh, that's 800 Ks that way. Okay, take my compass out, which means I need to go this way. Okay. Just 4,000 k should do it? I mean, like, he went the further as he could. Why? Because his bitterness made him blind and stupid. Some people prefer bitterness to forgiveness. Have you seen that? They, they love bitterness. They make friends with bitterness. They lie in the, the bed of bitterness. They they're comfortable in bitterness, but they become blind and stupid. To the love of God, the power of God's redemption, power of forgiveness, what God truly wants to do in the world. Look at someone and say, don't let bitterness make you blind. You and I are called to love no matter What side of a wall people are on, there are people who deserve love. That means we have to lay down a lot of our opinions, our ideologies, our beliefs. Because if you're going to follow God's calling, it's going to cost you. Second point, just because God is calling does not mean we're following. We see this so clearly in the life of Jonah. As he gets his call from God, he's like, no like i can hear the call but that doesn't mean obedience i had a dog like that once every time i got to the gate it was this beautiful husky charlie every time i got to the gate i opened the gate now i was calling running down the road charlie charlie that does not mean he was following in fact, it felt like the louder I called, the faster he ran. The more I pursued him, and he was fast. He, he just went for it. Ask my neighbors, people that live around me, that probably often saw me just like, hey, Ryan, you jogging today? No, I'm just trying to fetch Charlie, right? I think that's so clear, like a picture of sometimes what it's like with us in God. He calls you by name, and you're like, woohoo, okay. Just because we hear the call, it doesn't mean we're following God. It doesn't mean obedience. Knowing the truth is not the same as living in the truth. Those are two very different things. We know Jonah knew the truth. Not only was he called a prophet, but even as you watch him pray in Jonah chapter 2, you see a very theological, very detailed, very scriptural prayer. In fact, in his one prayer in Jonah 2, he quotes from the Old Testament 11 times. He references the book of Psalms 9 times, the book of Lamentations one time, the book of Job one time. This is a guy who knew scripture, he knew how to pray, but his knowing did not equal living. And you and I knowing what God wants, his will and how he wants us to live does not equal living. In fact, when Jesus is teaching, he really shows us this. We see him just after Passover, after that meal, putting on a towel over his hands, getting on his hands and feet, very humbly washing the feet of the disciples. And then he says, hey, what I've just done this as an example to you. And then in John 17, 13, he says, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these, a blessing does not know in the knowing. The blessing doesn't lie there. The blessing doesn't lie in the hearing. The blessing doesn't lie in the reading. The blessing doesn't lie in the memorizing. The blessing doesn't lie in the preaching. The blessing lies in the doing. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. We have to almost see God's Word as a cosmic GPS system. Right? I often, when I'm traveling, I'll use Google Maps Anyone here use Google Maps? You know how it works. You put in a destination. Say you want to go, and then it shows you the path. Now, imagine I set a destination for Johannesburg. says I'm going to be there in one hour and 20 minutes. Right? Some of you were like, cool, I'll do that in 40. Right? Have the phone there. You sit and wait. An hour and 20 minutes later, you're like, I'm not there yet. I mean, this thing doesn't work. Well, why aren't you there yet? Because you haven't left. Because you haven't followed the map. It's one thing to know the way. It's a very different thing to walk the way. And you can actually hear Jesus' frustration as he's speaking to people in the book of Luke, chapter 46. God, I mean, This is so good. He says in Luke 6.46, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And you do not do what I say. Like, doesn't the word Lord mean obedience? Doesn't the word Lord mean you're above me and below? I will obey. You're my Lord. So why are you saying Lord, Lord, but you just refuse to do what I say? Why say, Lord, Lord, but you just keep sleeping together? Why say, Lord, Lord, but you just, you're just you still pursuing that divorce? Why say, Lord, Lord, but you're still swearing like a sailor? Sailor like every day. Like Why say, Lord, Lord, but every weekend you're getting wasted? Why say, Lord, Lord, but you're just so committed to watching that porn? Why are you saying, Lord, Lord, but then you're not acting like I'm Lord, Lord? You, you know what sentence is? inaccurate. No, Lord. You know that's an inaccurate sentence? That's like saying, I'm reversing forward. Like, no, you can't do that. Well, if you're calling him Lord, it implies heavily obedience. And so, yes, it's very easy to say, yes, Lord, Jesus is Lord with my lips. But it really means nothing unless I'm saying it with my heart. And if I truly believe He is Lord, suddenly my will gets laid down. And His will gets picked up. And I say, God, I'm going to do what you say. It's not my opinion. It's not my will. Your will be done. Not my way, your way. Not my thoughts, your thoughts. Not my speech, your speech. Why? Because you're Lord. Why do you say Lord? But you don't do what I say. And so here Jesus is saying, hey, it's one thing to like know the truth. It's so different to actually live it out. And that leads us to the real plot twist, which is the series we're in. Because when God is in our lives, things don't always go as expected or planned. There's always a plot twist. And here's what I see as a plot twist in Jonah's story. Is that ignoring God's calling will actually cost others. When you ignore His calling, when you ignore that next step, that thing you believe He's calling you to do, other people suffer. They miss out. I mean, look at this nation of Nineveh radically gets saved. I mean, one enemy prophet walks in, says, listen to the Lord. And then look at what it says in Jonah 3, verse 5. The Ninevites believe God. What? I mean, the Bible just puts us all in like one verse as if it's like just every Tuesday. No, this is a big moment. There was, we We're told about 120,000 Ninevites, and they all believe God. It says, a fast was proclaimed. While they believe in God, they're denying themselves, they're serious. All of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. What? This is huge. What a successful ministry. Like just everyone believes? I just walk in and say, hey, repent. And they're like, okay. Will stops getting people alive. Someone had the scales. Like what? What? This is massive. Radical transformation. Everyone believed God. And you've got to ask the question, what if Jonah didn't go? Like what if even in the belly of the whale, he said, no, Lord. I'm going to die on this mountain. I got out. You can These acids in this belly can eat me alive. I'm not going, Lord. God, you you cause a storm, make an animal swallow me. Now I'm definitely not going. Like what if he said, no, guess what would have happened? Nineveh would have suffered. When you say no to your calling, people suffer. And yes, God can make another way, but at what cost? You know, when Esther's busy, When she's resisting her calling, her uncle comes to her, Uncle Mordecai. It's like the key verse in the whole book. And he says, Esther, if you say no, God will probably find deliverance another way. But you won't make it. You'll die. You and your family and the people you know will die before deliverance comes. And you've got to ask, who dies on my watch when I say no? Who loses out? When I disobey, and I've got to tell you, when you resist the call of God in your life, people miss out. And I just, I relate to this so much guys, because I did not want this job. I did not want to be a pastor. And then when God finally like persuaded me and sent me through my own whale journey, and I was like, okay, Lord, I'll be a pastor. But never the senior pastor. Just there, Lord, I'm drawing a line in the sand, right? Now I've learned whatever I say no to, God makes me do. So now every day I'm like, God, I will not go to Hawaii. I will not. I refuse, Lord. But, uh, yeah, he's hearing my heart there, so. But what I've found is that I I I really know what it's like to resist God's call because maybe you were like me. I didn't want to be all in, guys. I wanted to find a way to like just straddle, like I wanna be, I want to be like in the world enough to still be like cool and relevant and like he's a nice guy. And I wanted to be in the world enough to like not be known as some like religious out-of-touch nut. But I wanted to be in God enough to go to heaven because I really didn't like the idea of hell. So I was trying to like, how do I like live here? Like, is this okay? Like, I just want to, I don't want to be weird, right? And so so I was, I was like, God, I knew for me being all in meant ministry. Was spoken over my life. I could feel it in me. I was like, oh. I don't want to do that, right, because I didn't come to ministry with rose-colored glasses thinking, oh, that's a great job. I was like, that's an awful job, right, because you guys are weird. Like, there's just, right, like I I was a pastor's kid. I, I knew about church politics, and I knew how difficult people could be, and I was like, I don't want that, Lord. And so I just was trying to find a way, like, can I just straddle, Lord, I don't want to be all in, and I know what that feels like because some of you, You're scared just to be all in because what will people say? Like what will your friends really say if you stop drinking and then you invite them to church? What will your friends at work say if next time they share a personal issue, you're like, can I pray for you? What will your family members say if you like post a sermon or a Bible verse or something, a scriptural message on Facebook? Like, what will these people in your life who know you, like, what will they say? What will they think of you? And so we're trying to guard our reputation. And you're like, I don't want to be all in. Like, what will my girlfriend or my boyfriend say if you're like, we're not sleeping together anymore until we get married? Like, what will they say if I jumped all in? Like, wouldn't they think I'm some religious weird nut? I don't want to be that person. Like, I want to be relevant. And I don't want them to think every time I'm invited for a I'm just going to be like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And so we end up living like Jonah. But now I look back at like almost 20 years of ministry and I have had the privilege of seeing literally thousands of people become saved and baptized and discipled. I've seen literal orphans find a beautiful home. I have seen spiritual orphans find a church home. And I think, God, what if I said no? People miss out. Others will pay the price if you say no. You know, about two weeks ago, I led a small mission team to Swaziland from this church. It was such a phenomenal trip. Um, mission trips always are. I love missions. If you haven't done missions, you're missing out. The second day before we left, I wanted to take the team on a street evangelism outreach. So I spent the morning doing some training with them, and then I did what I like to do whenever I do training on street evangelism. I like to do this if there's time. I asked the team to just find a space. We're going to spend some time in prayer and worship. And what we needed to ask God for, I asked them to ask God, was for a vision. That perhaps he wanted to show them a picture of someone, some people. What they looked like. What what they had, what maybe they were wearing or they had just something characteristics that God was saying, I want you to speak to that person. So the team divided up. We spent some time in prayer. We asked God for visions. I got three visions in that in that time of prayer. We jump in the car. We drive down to where we we're doing the street evangelism. And even before I parked the car, as we're turning in, I see my first guy, right? I pictured an African man in an all yellow ship shirt and, and a cap. And uh, he was there. And I was like, where I was trying to get the team out the car. I'm like, guys, he's walking away. Like, can you get out the car? But there's two cars, and they're all trying to get their stuff, and they're just taking a little bit along. And I'm like, guys, my guy's walking away. Anyway, by the time they're all out the car, he's gone. I I walk out the parking lot. I'm like, where's my guy? So I jump in my car, and I start driving down the road, and I find him at the bottom of the hill. And now I think, what on earth am I going to say to this guy? So I pulled the car over, and I thought, okay, I need to approach him in some way. I covered this in the training. I didn't want to lie. So I thought, I know. Later on that day, we're going to a place called Lukuntu, a little village. I'm not 100% sure how to get there. I'm just going to ask him for directions. So I catch him and say, hey, sorry, dude. I know you're busy walking here, and you don't know me, but I'm actually just from South Africa with a church. I'm looking for directions. Later on, we're going to Lukuntu. Do you know how to get there? And he's like, "He's like, no. I, I didn't know how to get there, but I could see he was not okay. And so I just said, hey, are you you all right? And he's like, no, I'm I'm in a bad place. And he proceeded to tell me that he wasn't from Big Bend where we were, but that he had come there because someone had promised him a job. And now they weren't phoning him. They hadn't communicated with him, and he just didn't know what to do. He'd used all his money to get there. He didn't know what to do. And now it didn't look like this job was coming through. And he looked so destroyed. I wasn't sure if it was because some like, white stranger from South Africa like bombarded him or because of this distress and the worry that he had. And so I was like, well, you know, I told you I was from a church and all I had to do is pray. Can we pray together? And he was like, no, let's do that. So I laid my hands on him. I barely got out two sentences, just like, dear Lord, we love you. We know you're mighty. Please intervene. His phone starts to ring in his pocket. I open my eyes while I'm praying and I see him trying to silence it. And I just felt, don't silence. So I stopped praying. I was like, dude, answer it. I think it's them. And he answers the phone and his face goes, it's them, right? (laughs) Like it was, and then he just ran off. He was just like, couldn't believe what had happened. And he had just seen the undeniable intervention of the living God in his life that he could not explain away. (laughs) That evening, we were busy chatting with the missions team. And I just had this overwhelming feeling once again. What if we didn't go? Like, that's a terrifying thought for me. And it reminds me, guys, that people suffer from your disobedience. Other people miss out when we don't follow God when we're not true to our next step, when we're too scared to be all in, because we might come across religious. But I want to say, if you were with your friends and, and you were like, hey, you know, I want to be all in, I want to tell them about Jesus, I want to stop drinking and I want to fix up my language and I'm going to be committed to church, I'm going to find some people. You have no idea the impact that could have on those friends on those family people in your family, on the people in your office, you have no clue the impact. It might be exactly what they need. They might just want to see someone who's willing to go all in because they really believe that the message of Jesus is worth it. It's worth it, your life. And so the call today is don't be Jonah. What is God calling you to do? Can you jump all in? Let's stop trying to straddle and be like, I want to please the world and please God. No, let's just please God. And I want to ask you this question, and it's a hard question, and I'm asking myself today as well. What would look different in your life if you were all in? Right now, what would you stop doing if you were all in? What would you stop watching? What would you stop listening to? What would you start doing if you were all in today? If you were 100% for Jesus, what would you do different at work? What would you start doing with your family? Well, those are your next steps. That is your Nineveh. And God, He might start to persuade you to do it. He might send some storms your way. He might put you in some stinky situations. It is easier to say yes. Yes right from the beginning and it's even amazing that God wants to persuade you because he doesn't really need you in fact he's not using you because he needs you he's using you because he wants to use you you see the story is not just about how God was gracious with Nineveh it's also a story about how God was so gracious to Jonah because if I was in charge of prophet selection I would have said, God, well, Jonah's clearly disqualified himself. He's literally running away from me. I mean, that's like pure disobedience. God, just take him off the list. But instead, God changes the weather of the world, and he stirs up the ocean, and he sends in a fish. He does this because he wants to use Jonah, and God wants to use you. And don't believe the lie that you're too bad and you've disobeyed too much and your past is too great. That's rubbish. God wants to use you. You weren't saved because you were good anyway, right? He wants to use you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. If you've been foolish and weak, well done. You're a perfect candidate to be used by God. And he wants to use you. He wants to use you. So please, for the love of God and for the love of all the people he loves, get all in. Let's stop phoning this in and playing Christian and, and just giving half our effort. Let's get all in. Let's run to our Nineveh. Let's honor and obey the call. And it's going to cost you something. It costs you far more if you disobey. And in the very end, if you don't do it, there are people in your life that are going to suffer. Can I ask you to close your eyes? I want to pray for you. Father God, today, I pray against a spirit of mediocrity within your children. Those who are phoning it in. Those who are just plain Christian, Lord those whose mouths say you, Lord, but their hearts do not follow. I pray for a change today in Jesus Christ's name. God, I pray that obedience would rise up, that our passion would rise up, Lord, that we would be committed to following you in what you say. Father, whatever next steps we need to make to be all in, whatever things in our life we need to clean up, I pray, God, we would have the courage to obey you today. In fact, you might want to pray this prayer if you're listening today, a simple prayer. Just say these words, God, I choose to obey. Father, thank you that you hear those prayers today for those today who choose obedience. I pray, God, that those prayers would not end in this whole and in these homes. May these prayers go through to our workplaces. May these prayers infiltrate our lives, our friendships. God, we are not scared to be a fool for you because Jesus, you were a fool for us first. God, we are not scared to be religious nuts, to be Jesus freaks, to be known as the ones who are overly spiritual. We are all in. We choose to obey. Father, every resistance, everything to this world we're holding on to in the hopes to somehow still be accepted and relevant, I pray, God, that the only one we would want to be accepted by is You, that the only approval that we will pursue is Yours, that we would be of a single mind and a single focus, that Jesus Christ, it would be Your will or nothing, Your way or nothing, Your thoughts or nothing. God, I have seen the blessing of obedience. I pray, Father, that we would all find how blessed it is to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.